Hello and so thankful for another opportunity for us to come together to dig deeper into God's Word. I'm Colin, and as we continue in our series, Life in His Name, we land upon a familiar story. Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus was ill. They had begged Jesus to come, but by the time he arrived, it was too late. Today, Charles Broderson looks at Jesus' conversation with Martha and how in their interactions, we learn two things. One, we see what genuine faith really looks like. And secondly, there is a tomb and how Jesus wants to deal with the tombs in our own hearts. Through Lazarus' death and eventual resurrection, we see Martha exhibit a powerful example of faith, a faith not on what we hope or want Jesus to do, but a faith that rests ultimately on and in Jesus himself and the goodness of his will. Brian said, we want a woman to teach. And I said, great. And he said, we want it to be you. And I said, double great. Because I knew people who spoke from here really well. And I grew up loving the Bible. But I have to say, I especially love the interactions of Jesus with women. And I think that a woman gets the interactions with Jesus better sometimes than a man gets interactions. Let me explain this. Yesterday, I said to Brian, could you get my hat? I've got six. And I said, not the black one. I only have one black hat. Which one did he come out with? The black one. The black one. This is why I want to talk about Jesus' interaction with women. Because when we say, not the black one, Jesus says, oh, I wasn't going to do that one anyway. I would never do that one. I hear you. I hear you. Both Luke and John highlight the unique conversations, commendations, and conversations that Jesus had with women. And I want to begin this section that we just read with giving you three questions that we're going to look at this morning. The first one is, what is faith? Or how we're going to explore it today. What type of faith is needed to see the glory of God? What do we need to believe? And, and how do we exercise that faith so that we can see the glory of God? I would say that everyone in this room wants to see God's glory. I don't think there's a doubter or someone in here that says, no, no, I, I just want to live a really normal life. I never want to see the glory of God. We want to see God's glory displayed in our time, in our lives. So the first one is, what is faith? Or the type of faith that we need to see the glory of God. The second question is, what is a tomb? What is a tomb? And the third question that we'll be looking at is, what does it look like for you, for me, to see the glory of God? What is that like? And these questions are answered and met through the dialogue of Jesus with Martha. So I want to begin with what is faith, or what type of faith is needed to see the glory of God. Now, I personally, having grown up in the church, think that faith is the most misunderstood, misconceived, um, misused, essential that I've ever seen. When I was in junior high. I had a girlfriend that had just gotten saved and come to Calvary. 
chapel. And there was a woman who was conducting a study off campus. She went to Calvary. And my girlfriend happened to go to that study. And my girlfriend wore glasses because she was legally blind without her glasses. And this woman grabbed the glasses off of my friend, took them and stomped out on them and said, Lisa, you need more faith. And if you just had enough faith, you would be able to see. Well, her parents weren't Christians. So can you imagine explaining that to non-Christians? Hi, this is what they do at my church. I remember telling my dad and saying, you need to talk to her, maybe you need to talk to her parents. Because that's not what faith is. Faith is not placing this expectation on my ability to believe or to conjure up, you know, saying, I believe, I believe, I believe, will never make the great pumpkin appear in Linus's pumpkin patch. It just won't happen because it's, it's about believing the truth, not believing lies or believing in my expectations or my plans for God or what I want to see accomplished on earth. It's about what I believe about the truth. And Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. So really, faith centers on what do we believe about Jesus. It's all dependent on what we believe about the one who is the truth. See, faith is not a way of getting God to do miracles on earth. Years ago, um, Jeremy Camp's first wife, Melissa, um, contracted cancer. And I remember down at the Bible college, the students, you would come on campus and they believed, do you believe she's going to be healed? Do you believe she's going to be healed? And the students somehow developed this idea, if they got enough people to believe in Melissa Camp's healing, then Melissa Camp would be healed. And in the hospital room, Somebody looked at um, Melissa Camp's father, and they said, do you believe Melissa's going to be healed? Do you have enough faith? And he said, my faith rests in the will of God. And I believe that the will of God is the best thing that could happen to Melissa or to me or to anybody else. My faith is in the will of God that it is When I heard that, I was like, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Uh, I'll say one more time. I remember Brian was really ill. We had been married about three years. I was pregnant with Char, the big guy who's doing a class on Jesus formation. He was formed in me. Um, (laughs) And I remember um, somebody calling up and saying to me, if Brian only had enough faith or the right faith, he would be healed. And there was so much condemnation laid on me, laid on Brian. He just doesn't believe enough. He just doesn't have enough faith. Faith is not a power we harness. Like if we just believe enough, then bad things won't happen and lots of good things will come our way. 
In fact, we have people deconstructing their faith today. And I wanna ask you, what faith are they deconstructing? Is it they're destructing? I believe God would answer this prayer, and he didn't. I believed God would do this, and he didn't. Was it a faith in a magic genie that we could give our three prayer requests to, and they would happen just as we asked? Is faith about accomplishing my will or the will of God? The object of faith is not faith. We don't have faith in faith. Oh, if I just believe hard enough, long enough, powerfully enough, rightly enough, that everything I ask in prayer will happen. Faith in lies will never make the lie materialize. Faith in my expectations and my will will never accomplish my will. Because faith is knowing and believing the truth, which is Jesus Christ, and centering your life and actions around what you know to be true of Jesus, his word, and his actions, what he has done and what he will do. The faith that avails is the faith that knows and believes the truth about Jesus and centers one's lives, values, hopes, ambitions, and activity around the truth of who Jesus is, what Jesus has said, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus has promised. So the object of faith is Jesus. And the objective of faith, the faith that will see the glory of God, the activity, the objective, is to trust Jesus and to entrust to Jesus. As Peter said, to cast all our cares upon him because he cares for you. That's the objective of faith. What can, I, what can I give to Jesus? What care can I give him today? What can I entrust to him? I love that song, all our griefs and sins to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. G.D. Watson said this. I wanted a quote. There it is. Yes, I've got a quote. G.D. Watson said this. Our limitless trust in God seems to satisfy him as nothing else can do because it corresponds with his eternal faithfulness, it honors his veracity, and it is a constant silent worship of all his perfections. And this is the faith. The faith that's enough to see the glory of God, we see through Martha. Let me say this. Because of an incident in Martha's house, Martha gets a bad rap a lot. She, she, I think she must have been a great cook and loved to serve. 
but she got distracted from the presence of Jesus, and after that, her sister Mary seemed to have the preference with a lot of people. But Martha, we're told, was loved by Jesus. Jesus loved Martha. In fact, in John 10, we're told that it was Martha who invited Jesus into her house. It was Martha who put out the invitation. It is Martha that we see highlighted in this passage and who we can see faith demonstrated in. The faith that's enough to see the glory of God. Though Martha is visibly disappointed in Jesus, remember he did not come at the expected time. He could have kept Lazarus from dying, but he didn't. And she's probably tired She's been nursing her brother through his illness and death. She's dealt with the emotional trauma of loss, and she's still dealing with it. She's hosting guests and family arriving to grieve. And she's just endured the embalming, the wake, the burial, and watched the stone rolled in front of the tomb. I mean, for Martha, it's like, that's the end. Nothing more can happen. It's over. And it is after this, after the stone is rolled over the tomb, that she hears that Jesus is just outside Bethany. Martha left her guests. She got up to meet Jesus even before he entered the town. And she greeted Jesus immediately with her disappointment. There are no pleasantries. Hi, Jesus. How are you doing? Did you have a good walk here? Did you heal someone on the way? Or it's so good of you to come? No. Immediately she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The first words out of her mouth tell of her disappointment, her disillusionment, her hurt, her angst. She is so familiar, so close to Jesus that she can dismiss with the pleasantries and get right to the point. She can go straight to the hurt. Do you have somebody in your life like that? That when you see them, you don't have to say, how are you doing so good to hear your voice? You could say, I hurt my toe. I'm in pain. That's what I love about grandchildren. They come up to you and they're like, Grandma, my toe hurts. Like, and it's good to see you. I have to just say this. We were with our two-year-old the other day, and he does not like blood. And we bought him a sprinkles cupcake, and one of the red sprinkles got on his hand. He was eating his cupcake, and he looked at his hand, and he starts. And we look at his hand, and I said, Remy, that's not blood. That's a sprinkle. And he, just smile. But there's such familiarity, such honesty, that she can say and go straight to the very thing where she's hurt, Lord, if you had been here, if you had come just when I wrote you, if you had come at that time, you could have healed. I wouldn't be dealing with all this disappointment. I wouldn't be dealing with all this pain. I wouldn't be dealing with all these relatives. 
if you would just come, just come. Then she adds this, and I believe it's a concession. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. I don't think this is a reference to seeing Lazarus rise from the tomb. And you'll see why in a minute, or maybe you remember from our reading. I think this was her way of saying, I still believe that you hear God and God answers your prayer. He just doesn't answer my prayer. I think that's what she's saying. I still believe you're there for everybody else. Maybe just not for me. So let's take a moment to examine what Martha believed about Jesus or what you need to believe to see the glory of God. First, she believed that he would respond to her prayer. In verse 3, we read that she and Mary sent a message to him and they fully expected him to come to Bethany when he received the message. In verse 21, she believed that Jesus had the power to heal her brother. Also in verse 21, she believed that Jesus was right with God and that God would do whatever Jesus asked. In verse 24, we realize she believed in a resurrection on the last day, which meant she believed in an afterlife in which she would see her brother so that she believed in life after death. She also believed in the word of God that spoke of this life beyond the grave. In verse 27, she believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And in verse 27, she believed that Jesus was the Son of God, which means she believed that Jesus was God incarnate, God walking on the earth. This is what she believed. This is what her faith believed. You see, she believed in Jesus. She believed that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, that he did answer prayer. She believed that he did have the power to heal. Does that sound like your faith? I think it does. And I think that you're saying, I think my faith is weak. I, I don't think I have enough faith, or I don't think I, I'm believing it the right way, or there there's, must be one more step I'm supposed to take. But it's this faith. This faith that believes that Jesus hears our prayers, that Jesus has the power to heal, that Jesus is absolutely right with God, and that they have such a relationship that whatever Jesus asks of God, God will do it, that Jesus will raise everyone to life on the last day, that there is life after death, that the word of God is true, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, God incarnate. That's what she believed. What did Martha not know or not understand or not expect? Now, I want to say this because what I'm about to say has nothing to do with whether Jesus will work or not work. She didn't have to fully understand she didn't have to have her expectations on exactly what Jesus would do. In fact, let me just say this. Jesus always does the unexpected. He always does the unexpected. So I don't think that she understood what Jesus disclosed to her in verse 25 when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will never die 
will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. I don't think she understood that. I think it could have been the trauma. I mean, when you're in trauma, when you're grieving, when you're tired, you don't understand anything. You might hear voices, you might see lips move, but it's not penetrating. It could have been the greatness of the truth or revelation. We don't always get it the first time, do we? We, we hear this, Jesus is Lord, and we're like, okay. But it takes time for these biblical truths to penetrate, to get through to us. And, and sometimes we'll hear it, and then a week later it's like, oh, that's what it meant. I get it. And I think she was in one of those places where she wasn't quite hearing and it could have even been due to her preoccupation with the funeral, uh, with her relatives, with her own grief and disappointment. Yet Jesus, nevertheless, spoke this great, tremendous, and magnificent revelation to her. I don't think Martha expected her brother to come wriggling out of the tomb alive and healthy. Otherwise, why would she have objected, in verse 39, to having the stone rolled away? I love how it says it in the New King James. Not so, Lord, for now there is a stench. When you grow up in the church, you look for the places where you can secretly giggle when your father is teaching. This was a secret giggle place. I loved it. There is a stench. She wouldn't have objected. Had she believed that her brother would be raised to life, she was sure that the smell of rotting flesh and decay would permeate the atmosphere if the stone was rolled away. Martha had the right faith in the right person and enough faith to see the glory of God. Our faith is ultimately not what we want Jesus to do for us or what we expect Jesus to do for us, but it is on Jesus himself who he is, his character, his goodness, his truth, his power, his reality, and the rightness of his will. And so we pray, first and foremost, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But what Martha believed is enough to see the glory of God because Jesus said to her, Martha, did I not tell you that if you believe, and that's the word faith, if you have faith, you would see the glory of God of God. You see, faith wants the will of the one who is the resurrection and the life. That's whose will we want. That's whose will we want. Now, what is a tomb? Well, tombs are places where the dead are placed to decay. Tombs were not permanent permanent uh, placeholders, but only 
temporary places where a body would be placed, embalmed, until the flesh, I'm going to say this nicely, left the bones. Then the bones were collected and placed in what is called an ossuary, or a bone box, you know, like the urn that holds Uncle Harry. That's what an ossuary is, only instead of ashes, they did bones. I'm just going to tell you, I read a book, don't ask me why, on cremation, and did you know bones don't burn? And so what they usually do is after the body's cremated, they grind the bones. I just thought you would like that, to know that. It's not in my notes, that's a free one just for you to take home. It was in one of my true crime books, I will admit. Ones that disturb Brian. But tombs were also symbolic. Tombs represented dashed hopes, and they were often cisterns that were carved to hold water. So the family had this hope of making this cistern that would hold and uh, carry their water so they wouldn't have to worry about a, a um, water shortage like we do in California. So they had these cisterns. But if while they were carving, there happened to be a crack in the rock, the water would not be sustained in the cistern. It would drain out. And so then what are you going to do with this great big hole that you carved? I know. You would make it a tomb. Instead of holding fresh water that would sustain life, it would become a place that would hold the dead. It would be a place of decay, of stench, of rottenness. In Jeremiah 2.13, the Lord accused Israel of carving cisterns that could not hold water rather than seeking him as the spring of living water. Tombs were places symbolically of disappointment and pain and where all dead hopes and expectations were suppressed, covered, and left to rot. Martha had not only physically placed her brother in the tomb, but along with Lazarus, Martha had buried her disappointment of Jesus. Martha had buried his, her anger and angst at his delay. Mary, Martha had di buried her disappointment that Jesus did not come at the expected time or follow her plan to heal Lazarus from his illness. In that tomb with Martha's disillusionment with Jesus, and though she didn't say it with words, it was apparent from her confrontation with Jesus that what she really wanted to say is, you could have prevented this. You could have stopped this. This situation, this pain that I feel right now, if you had only done your job, done what you said you would do, I wouldn't be feeling this. I wouldn't be experiencing this. In the tomb of Lazarus was Martha's dis discouragement. Jesus heals others. I've seen him heal blind men. I've seen him give hearing back to the deaf. 
Lame men have been able to walk. I've seen him heal the sick. But he let my brother die. He let my brother die. And yet, I still know he heals others. I, I know he heals others. However, maybe Jesus expects me to tough it out. Just to say, I, I still believe. It's okay. I'm doing just fine. I'll make it through. I still love Jesus. It was to this very place of physical, emotional, and spiritual death, Jesus said, take me to your tomb. Take me. Take me to your tomb. And it was at this very tomb, this place of suppressed disappointment and hurt and anger, resentment, frustration, doubt, that Jesus said, roll that stone away. Roll it away. And Martha said, no, Lord, don't do it. There's a smell. Maybe that's your heart. I think all of us at one time or another, our heart becomes more like a tomb than a cistern. That at times we were disappointed. I think all of us have some prayer that Jesus didn't answer. I think all of us have some frustration some angst, something that just didn't go the way we wanted Jesus to do it, some delay, something. Or maybe there's something pending and, and we're like, Lord, if, if you don't do this, that's okay, I'll do it myself. I, I, maybe you just want me to handle this. And so what we do is we press it into our heart and we roll a stone over it and we say, I'm, I'm fine. I still believe in Jesus. I'm just fine. But privately, we're like, but Lord, if you had been here, <laughs> things could be different. And Jesus says to you, take me to the tomb. And you're saying, Lord, I don't think we want to dredge this up. Seriously, I, I don't think we want to roll this away. I mean, Lord, this is the place I'm disappointed. <laughs> this is the place where I don't look so good. I don't smell so good. I, I, this is all the things that I'm, I'm willing to get over and I'm willing to suppress so I can still believe in you. And the Lord said, I want to deal with it. And this brings me to our third point. What is the glory of God? The glory of God is when we roll away the stone and we say, have at it, Jesus. Take my disappointment. I'm going to tell you all about it. Take my hurt. Take my frustration. Do you know Jesus well enough to roll away the stone? Do you trust Jesus well enough to roll away the stone? Do you know Jesus well enough to let him into your heart? Because this is the glory of God. He wants to bring life to your hurt, to your disappointment, to your disillusionment, to your pain to your anger, to your frustration. He wants to bring life. Can he bring life? Yes, he can. He can bring purpose to your sorrow. He can bring life. This is what Jesus does. Now, 
This might be a little irreverent, but I'm gonna tell you anyway. There was a Sunday where I was back in the office talking to my mother. I was probably in my 20s. And my dad came skipping into the office. And my dad did not skip. He was not a skipper. But this Sunday, he was skipping. And he walked over to my mom, or skipped over to my mom, really. And he kissed her. And he stroked her on the back. And obviously, it wasn't normal because my mom said, Chuck, what's going on? She did have the gift of suspicion by her own admission. What's going on? And he said, Kay, today I had a revelation. And I just want to say I am so thankful for a prayer that God said no to. I met my 16-year-old crush at the back door of church. He said, I must have prayed 300 prayers that I could marry her and that she would be the one. And as I looked at her, all I could say is, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That was the tomb. That was a, that was a, that was a nice tomb. But there are other tombs. I, in fact, they've got a picture of a tomb. And maybe they already, there it is. This is not Jesus' tomb. This is a tomb near Galilee. In fact, before I said, do you have um, the picture of my tomb? And Char's like, it's not your tomb, mother. And I'm like, that's right. Thank you, Char. Um, I hope they don't leave me there when we go to Israel. But you see the rock, how big it is? It weighs tons. And I want to know, does your heart look like this tomb? Is it open to Jesus? Or is the stone in front of it? See, faith, faith. Martha had enough faith, even though she objected, to let Jesus roll the stone away. And the glory of God was when Jesus brought life from that dead place. It's the same Jesus. Hebrews tells us Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's the same Jesus that wants you to take him to your tomb and to allow, actually, he's going to ask you, will you roll away this stone and let me speak to the dead places of your heart. I think that in conclusion, we can learn from Martha what faith is, that it is ultimately believing in Jesus, trusting and entrusting to Jesus. Secondly, that Jesus wants to deal with the tombs of our heart, that he does not want us to suppress our disappointments, our disillusionments, or our doubts, but he wants us to talk openly with him about them and let him speak into our tombs. Have you been disappointed with Jesus? Has he delayed coming to your need? Have you suppressed your disappointments? Have you buried them? Have you rolled a stone over them? As we take communion, these elements that speak of the love and sacrifice of Jesus, that he might bring life to our mortal bodies, to our hearts. I want you to be open during this time to rolling the stone away and letting Jesus speak life into that tomb. Maybe during this time as we're partaking of the elements that speak of Christ's death and purpose of death, that maybe you'll speak to Christ 
about the places of death in your heart that he might bring life to them. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for sending Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that we can be honest with you, that we don't have to pretend. In fact, you hate hypocrisy. That we can boldly come to you and say, Lord, if you had been here, if you had done this, and Lord, we can take you to our hurts, our disappointments. And Father, thank you for Jesus who promises to speak life to dead bones, to dead places, and to bring life out of tombs. Father, in this hour, in this moment, we thank you for Jesus' death. We thank you for his sacrifice. We thank you for his life, that he who is the resurrection and the life gave his life that we might know his resurrection and his life. Father, let that not be just a promise after death, but let it be our experience in life today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.